Heavenly Father, this morning as we've worshipped you in song, we've uplifted your name, but God, now we open your word and, and we ask that you'll make your heart clear to us. Help us just to know how your heart beats for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This past Thursday, I was up in Atlanta for the Southern Union Executive Committee, which sounds really bougie, but it's very boring, let's be honest. Uh, all the different conferences in the Southern Union, that's the Florida, Georgia Cumberland, Carolina, Kentucky 10, Gulf States, South Atlantic, Southeastern Conference. Am I getting that right? I think that's right. Those are the Southern Union conferences, and each conference sends a few representatives to represent those conferences to this one committee. And we, here's a picture of uh, the, the group. Yeah, I stood up and took this picture. That's Roger Hernandez standing at the podium in the front. He's the a Southern Union Ministerial Director. He actually lives in Mount Dora right over here. And uh, as we, we meet, we hear reports from the Treasury about how tithe growth is crazy as usual because the people in the South that love Jesus really um, honor him through their finances. It's, it's amazing to watch what has been happening in Southern Union. Uh, we hear from ministerial, so we hear about baptism and, and evangelism and, and all the great things that God's doing. Um, we also hear about different uh, projects that are happening and, and, and approve some of them. So like Southern Adventist University is doing a $27.5 million project, and so it went through Southern Union Executive Committee, and so we processed that there. We get to hear from our universities like Southern and Oakwood and Advent Health University, and, and we move together as a body all these representatives representing all the different conferences. So there's like two or three from Florida Conference. There's several from the other conferences as well. And I represent our conference. I also get the opportunity to intercede for our conference. If there was an issue, I could go to the Southern Union Executive Committee and I could stand there before them and represent the Florida Conference. Or if there was an issue, I could go straight to the Southern Union President, who's Elder Ron Smith, and I could intercede between the Florida Conference and him. I represent our conference. And as we think about the heart of Christ, seeing his heart as an interceder, as a representative of us, it tells us how his heart beats for us. See, so often we are enamored and awestruck at the love of God shown to us on the cross. And we should be. I mean, it's the most unbelievable thing that's ever happened in, cre in, in all of creation, in humanity. I was having Bible studies with a friend of mine uh, who comes from a very secular background, and she doesn't know Christianity that well. And as she's been studying and learning about who Jesus is and the gospel message, she, I can see it in her face that she is, is struggling with it, like wrapping her mind around it and comprehending it. And so just a few weeks ago, I said, hey, if you're struggling with the gospel, it's okay if you feel like it's unbelievable, if you're feeling like you can't believe it, it's fine because it is simply unbelievable. It's amazing that Jesus came and died for us. And it was at that very moment that all who had sinned and all that would ever sinned were absolutely, what's the word? The big word is justified, which means our sinfulness was covered with his sinlessness. Our unrighteous was covered with his righteous. Our unjustice was covered with his justice. But do you ever wonder if God's love for us was a one-hit wonder that happened way back then, that he had this burst of passion back then and it stopped then? Or do you feel like God's love for you is more like in sync 
that just can't stop and they just keep coming back for more. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. The ones that are laughing already have tickets, I know. See, justification was when Christ died on the cross in the past, but intercession is what he's doing now. And it's just as important as what happened back then. One of my favorite authors, Ellen White, she writes in the book, The Great Controversy. Here's what she says. Here it is on the screen for you. She says, the intercession of Christ on man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. Those are big words. That means that what he's doing right now, representing us, interceding for us, is just as important as what he did way back then. He's got his life on display representing us and he's making a case on our behalf. And what he's, do, what he's doing now shows his heart for you and me. Think of it this way. Christ's heart is this steady reality that stays steady throughout time. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. It's not more for you at some times and less for you at others. It's consistent and constant, which means that he loves you just as much now as he ever has in the past. In fact, his heart for us is constantly working and interceding for us right now as we speak. And while what Jesus did for us on the cross is a testimony to his heart, what he's doing now is equally as powerful. The cross accomplished salvation, but the intercession right now is proving that the cross was enough. Think of it this way. In 2000, 23 years ago, Tiger Woods was on a tear. Do you know Tiger Woods? Have you heard of him? Yeah, okay, good, good. Uh, he had an unbelievable year the year before. He won eight PGA events, and he followed it up in the year 2000 with nine wins that year. Just an unbelievable tear on his career. And as he was in the 2000 U.S. Open Championship, here's a picture of him at that championship. He won by 15 strokes above the next guy. His closing round, he was five under par and beat the next guy by 15 strokes. That's the largest victory margin in, the, in a PGH uh, golf major championship. There was no doubt that he had won. Anybody watching on TV, they knew he'd won. Anyone there knew he'd won. Anyone anywhere knew that Tiger had won. There was no doubt that he had won, no question. Yet when he putted that last putt into the cup and picked the ball out of the hole, he still, like every other player, had to walk over to the official's tent, pull out his own scorecard, and show it to the official so that they could verify that he indeed, he indeed had the victory. And while the cross was obvious, no doubt in anybody's mind, a done deal that the cross had the power to over sin in the grave, we still see the intercession of Jesus now that proves that the cross was enough back then. And the universe gets to watch the whole thing. But let's pause just for a minute to talk about intercession because uh, if we get this mixed up, then you have a great picture of Jesus and you have a terrible picture of God the Father. Because if Jesus is interceding for us, he's representing us to whom? Who is it? God the Father, right? Jesus is in the middle between the sinful humans and the sinless God. And his case is that his sinless life covers our sinful life, and he pleads his case before the Father. But before you get ahead of yourselves and start thinking that God the Father is some 
big angry God that sits on a throne and wants humans not to measure up. And think about sweet Jesus that loves you and that he's begging and pleading his father to forgive you. You get it all wrong. Jesus dying on the cross was something that the father and the son had agreed willingly to do long before the foundation of the world, both of them together. It doesn't show, uh, this interceding thing, it doesn't show the coolness of God the Father's heart. It just shows the warmth of Jesus' heart. They're both in it together. It's not like Jesus, scared, goes in before his Father and hopes he finds him in a good mood. No, he goes in there and the Father's there waiting for him and Jesus says, yeah, you know those people in Forest Lake? They sinned, but... Our grace is sufficient. And they high five and they chest bump each other and they say, the plan worked. The plan of redemption still works. We, did, we planned it back then and it's working now. Think of it like this. You're an older brother. You have a younger brother and he is a, he's a runner. He's on a track team. The other brother, the older brother's in the stands. The younger brother is running and the older brother watches, and that younger brother, oh, he's fast. He's as fast as Jonathan Erickson, and he's going, and he's ripping around there, and, and he's so far out in front that he's going to win no matter what. Now, the older brother in the stands, he doesn't cross his arms and say, yeah, yeah, look at him go. Instead, he cheers. He gets out of his seat. He's pounding his fist. He says, this is fantastic. Look, go, baby, go. You can do it. He crosses the finish line. He rejoices with his younger brother because they both win together. Or it's kind of like this, back in the year 2000. This is totally a a dude sermon. This is for the bros out there. I've got something for the females here in a little bit. In the year 2000, Dale Earnhardt Sr. was still driving. Here's a picture of him. Here he is. Oh, the intimidator. There he is. Those glasses are intimidating for anybody. In fact, if you can wear those, if you can pull those off, it's pretty intimidating. That's impressive, honestly. Dale Sr., what an an incredible driver. Uh, The number three good wrench car. He was dominant in the sport, uh, and, and it was in 2000 that he and his son, Dale Earnhardt Jr., were racing together. They only had a few seasons together, and, and in one race up in Richmond, Virginia, the two are battling for the second-place spot, and uh, Dale Sr. is in the number three black Goodwrench car, and Jr. is in the number eight Bud red car, and uh, this is Dale Jr. as he describes what happened that day. Here it is. We get the next restart. I got to get by a few guys first, and one of those guys is my dad. So I'm passing Elliot Sadler on the outside. See the sparks? That's from the damage on my car from hitting Tony Stewart on the race on pit road. I'm trying to get by Elliot Sadler and Dad. Elliot Sadler is going into the lead. Now I'm trying to pass Dad for second place. Dad only took, I think, two tires on that pit stop, so he doesn't have as good of tires as I do. Behind me is Terry Labonte, who would be the guy that would challenge at the end of the race, but. We're racing dad, and this is a lot of fun for me. Me and him didn't get to race each other all that often. It's my first year in cup, so I'm passing him for the win. He passes his father for the win, ends up going and winning the race. And while Dale Sr. would never let anyone just win, you better believe that he wasn't pouting in the pit area afterwards thinking, why didn't I win? He was in victory lane with his son, rejoicing, exciting that his son won, and they win together. Are you getting this? I don't think you're getting it. Let me try some more. Okay. Um, Now, this is not debatable. And if you want to debate, then you're just wrong. 
But we all know that Michael Jordan is the goat of basketball. Can I get an amen from someone? There it is. If you disagree, you're just wrong. It's fine. Now, a close second is LeBron James, who is also an incredible basketball player. And he's in his 20th year of basketball. And now we all know why he is still playing. He's not in there for uh, the, the, the records that he's breaking. He's not in there for championships. I mean, he's won a few, but not as many as Jordan, just saying. Um, he is not in there because he just loves basketball. He's in there because he's waiting for May 2024 when 18-year-old Bronny James is up for the draft. Are you with me? Here's a picture of the two. And whoever gets Bronny James is guaranteed they're going to get LeBron James too. And can you imagine this tandem of terror, this duo in basketball, father and son? Can you imagine the alley-oops, the trick plays? Can you imagine what they've worked on in the driveway of their house for years and years and years, and they're ready to wreak havoc in the NBA? And and you, you know that LeBron, his pride would just burst forth if all he could see is Bronny running the plan and the play that they had designed together and getting victory together. The father rejoices as the son gets victory because it's the plan from the very beginning. Are you getting this yet? And as Jesus intercedes on our behalf, as he represents us to the father, it's not like he's trying to convince the father that the sacrifice was good enough. Everybody knows the sacrifice was good enough, but he highlights his life over the highlights of our sin. And they say together, our grace is sufficient. Our plan of redemption is still working. Dane Ortland, he's the author of this book that we've used a little bit in this series called Gentle and Lowly. He writes these words. Here they are on the screen for you. He says, The intercession of Christ is his heart connecting our heart to the Father's heart. He's interceding in behalf of us, pulling us together. This intercession, it's not a a test. It's not something to be afraid of. It's just reviewing the scorecard that shows the victory that happened way back then. It's letting the universe see how much God loves us. But I want, to, I want you to see the heart for, of Christ right from the Bible. And if you've got your Bible, I invite you to open it to Hebrews chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a blue one in front, and you can open it to page 849. You'll read the same words that I'm reading. I love the book of Hebrews. We were there last week, and, and every time I open this book, I, my mind is just blown with who God is and the, the love he has for us. Hebrews chapter 7 We're just reading verses 23 to 25. The author, which I think is Paul, he tells a lot about the priests, the high priests, and how Jesus is our high priest. And he gives us a little more detail right there in Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23, as we read these words together. If you're there, say amen. Okay, sounds like it. Here we go. Verse 23 says this. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Paul says there's been a lot of priests. Over the history, there's a lot of them. You can see their names. Some were really great leaders. Some were not so good. Some honored God. Some didn't. Some lived a long time. Some didn't. But they all died. 
Yet Jesus is different because he's eternal. And because he's eternal, his priesthood is eternal too. His ministry is everlasting too. It's an eternal ministry, a permanent priesthood. It doesn't stop when he's not face-to-face with us anymore. I kind of think of it like a mother's ministry to her children. When moms have babies, babies need so much attention. I mean, they can't eat. They can't go to sleep without somebody's help. They can't even hold their heads up without somebody's help. We were just, my family was just at a friend's house the other day, and their sister had their baby there as well, just a newborn, a couple months old, a few weeks old even. And I got to hold her, and while she's learning to smile and her eyes are starting to focus on things, she's helpless. She's just a little baby. you got to do everything for them. But babies grow. They start to walk and they start to talk. They, they, they get their driver's license. They go to college. They move out of the house. And while there is some rejoicing in mother's hearts because they, are, are, they have their house back, their ministry to their children doesn't end there. It doesn't stop when the kid goes away to, the, to school. They're still ministering to them. They're still worrying about them every night. They're still praying for them every day. They're still hoping for them. The ministry of mothers doesn't stop when the kid goes away. It just continues, whether they're holding them in their arms or they're praying for them on their knees. It's permanent. It's forever. And the ministry of Jesus wasn't something that started when he was born in Bethlehem and ended when he ascended back into heaven. He's been doing it, this ministry from the foundation of the world, and he'll do it until we are face-to-face with him in heaven again for eternity. It's eternal. Verse 25, this is the verse that I love so much. It says this. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Some powerful words in here. Many versions and translations, uh, King James is one of them. Maybe your Bible says this too. Instead of it saying, for he is able to save completely, it says, he is able to save to the uttermost. I don't use that word, uttermost. It's not in my vocabulary. I don't don't use that word. But it's a pretty cool word. In Greek, it's this word, pentales, and it means comprehensiveness, completeness, exhaustive wholeness. It's this idea of totality. Uh, The only other place in the New Testament this word is used is when it's describing this woman that for 18 years she was crippled and paralyzed and she couldn't stand up straight. She couldn't stand up in pantales, in full totality and completeness. And we have to understand this word because it shows the power of Jesus. See, we know our hearts. You know what's inside there. And while there's a lot of good in all of us, there's always some sin there too. We say we're totally forgiven, but sometimes we wonder, can God forgive me even in the little crevice down there where I hold on to that sin, where the dirt is in there, where the the ugly parts, can he reach me all the way down there? Yet my Bible says that God forgives everything, forgives everybody, even in those dark crevices. In fact, I would say it's those dark crevices in your soul that Jesus is willingly going. It's where he wants to go. The ugly parts, his heart is most drawn to those parts. See, he knows the uttermost, and he saves to the uttermost because his heart is drawn to the uttermost. Let's put it this way. Here it is on the screen for you. 
We cannot sin our way out of God's love for us. You can't. It's impossible. No matter, matter how much sin you have, he's got more grace. And each and every time we sin, Christ turns the gaze of the Father to his righteousness to avert it from our sins. It's like Jesus continually presses the refresh button on our lives every time we sin, every time we fail. His ministry didn't stop at the cross where he just wished us good luck and hopefully you'll get to heaven. It continues on today. It's kind of like a glider. Have you ever seen gliders before? Some of you that are into, uh, into airplanes and such, you may have seen them. Here's a picture of one right here, these gliders. They're non-motorized aircraft. It's pretty cool. They, one or two men or women get in there, and then a long cable is attached to the glider and to an airplane that's motorized, and the airplane takes off down the runway, and as it gets lift, the glider behind gets lift as well, and so the airplane takes this glider up to the, whatever elevation it wants. In fact, I just heard after first service that uh, somebody is trying to set the world record of gliders being at 90,000 feet. That's, that's very high. Not 35,000 feet where we normally fly. 90,000 feet in a glider, un, unmotorized. And as they get to the elevation where they want to go, the cable is disconnected. The airplane goes back down and the glider descends at whatever rate it wants to until it gets down to the earth. There's no more connection. We are the glider. Christ is the airplane. The only difference is he never lets go of us. He doesn't just take us up to the elevation and say, good luck getting down. He pulls us through all eternity, every day of your life. He continues. It wasn't something he did back then. He continues his ministry today. And one way to think of it is like this. We'll put this on the screen. Jesus is praying for you right now. I mean, we talk about intercessory prayer, like we're praying for other people that need it. Jesus is praying for you right now in the throne room of heaven. In every sinful act, in every disobedient and rebellious choice, Jesus is praying for you on your behalf. It's a powerful thought. He's interceding for you right now. He's letting his righteousness shine over your sin. And our sin, it goes to the uttermost but so does his saving grace. It goes to the uttermost too. In fact, he lives to intercede for those that have sinned, even in the uttermost. He lives to do it. He died to save us back then so that he can live to intercede for us now, and he'll do it to the uttermost. Recently, my boys have been uh, learning how to work. I. I feel like a good work ethic is really important to instill in kids. I got that when I was a kid, and I want to give it to my kids too. And so my boys have been uh, learning how to mow the yard. And I'll pay them, pay them 10 bucks if they want to get out there in the heat. And it's miserable here in Florida. See, when I grew up, I had an acre of grass to cut every week with a push mower that was not self-propelled. Want a good work ethic? Three acres is a lot, yeah. An acre is a lot too. And as, uh, as I would do that, I remember I'd be out there, I think I was in fourth grade, and I would just be crying, just crying. Neighbors are wondering what's happening. It's close to abuse, guys. It's very close. My boys have it easy. I got self-propelled. I mean, all you got to do is press the handle down and just follow the mower around. 
Um, it's, all, it's still a lot of hard work. In fact, here's a, here's a little video clip of Canaan recently as he was mowing the yard. Here it is. There he is. There you go. <laughs> Look at those lines. A proud dad. Atta boy, Kanan. Good job, my man. <laughs> yeah. All right, you can close that video. And uh, as they're out there mowing the yard, it's hard work. Having a self-propelled mower is best, or better, having a riding mower is best. Am I right? Any riding mower fans out there? Yes? Okay. That's cool. The kids are, I like that. So recently, Kanan, he's, uh, he's been telling me, Dad, I want a project. I want to work on something. I love working on motors and getting them running, and I, and I believe that every engine wants to actually go. You just have to feed it the right stuff, the right compression, the right spark and, and fuel, and you're good to go. Let this thing go. And so he's been saying, Dad, I want to work on, a, on, a, on an engine with you. Let's get something and work on it. And so I've been on Facebook Marketplace recently, been looking for a riding lawnmower. I don't care if it runs. I don't care if it needs a battery. I don't care what it really looks like. I just want a project so my boy and I can work on it. And we've looked at lots of them. Here's a couple that we looked at. Like uh, we looked at this John Deere because nothing runs like a deer, right? We looked at this Murray over here because Murrays are everywhere and you can get parts anywhere you want. This one doesn't even have a headlight over here. Uh, we've, we looked at some that the picture of the mower shows that the mower's been sitting in the same place for years. There's grass that's been growing up into the engine compartment, up through the hood. And we think, you know what? We got tools, needs a little paint. We could paint it. We can work on this thing. You know, it's, we could save this thing. We've extended our, or expanded our search to include zero turn mowers. Now we're talking big bucks, but they're awesome. Have you ever driven one of those? It's like driving a tank. Yeah, Lathan, you have Alexa, you have, yeah. It's, they're so much fun. And they're out of my price range for sure. But just last weekend, we found one on Facebook Marketplace. Here it is. Look at that beauty. <laughs> you can't tell if I'm serious or not, right? <laughs> it, it needs a little work. He said it wasn't running. He said, oh, you, I just need one little part and it'll run. Sure, sure, yeah. It needs some paint. The seat's got some issues, but it was in the price range. And Kanan and I looked at it. In fact, I remember we were uh, in bed. I was putting him to bed and we were looking at it. Oh, we were dreaming about it, how much fun it would be to mow the yard now. We were thinking how cool this would be. So I messaged the guy on Facebook Marketplace and, and he said, yeah, man, I'll even cut the price for you, which is a red flag, but okay, he's ready to get rid of it. So uh, we're talking some more. He posts a video of him walking around this lawnmower. And when he gets to the other side, I can see the mower deck, the part underneath that has the blades. And it is absolutely destroyed, rusted through completely. And as I look at Kanan and he looks at me and we talk about this, I say, buddy, we can't save that one. It's too far gone. It's too messed up. The rust has eaten it away. It is too far for us to save it. We can't save that one. Yet it's different when it comes to Jesus. The heart of Christ died to save us, but lives to intercede for us now. And there's no one that is beyond what he can do to save because his heart reaches to the uttermost. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, 
It's humbling to know that your love for us reaches all the way to the uttermost, to those deepest, darkest places, because that's how much you love us. God, we're humbled and we're honored and we love you and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.